Thanks for listening to the Create Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. All right, everybody, how you doing this morning? You feeling okay? Come on, I'm excited to be with you. Hey, you, production team, could you throw that picture up for me? See this picture right here? Uh, this is the one piece of real art that I own in my life, okay? And uh, when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma, I worked at a church there, and the worship pastor uh, was actually a, a extreme creative. Like, he wasn't just musically gifted. He was artistically gifted. He could do construction. He could build anything. He would build sets for, like, the Christmas play for the kids. Like, he could do anything. And I remember... Uh, watching him, you know, I'd walk into his office and he'd be sitting there and if he wasn't doing worship stuff and building sets or whatever, he'd be like staring out the window and like painting a tree. And I'm like, if I was the executive pastor, I'd been on his case a little bit more about that. But I think they just wanted him to be creative. <laughs> so oftentimes you'd find him in his office looking out the window painting and you know, he's eating his lunch or whatever. And so anyways, I remember walking in one day and he had just painted this. And I don't know what it is about this painting, but it just really kind of captured me. Uh, I've always, you know, thought of like a lot of my journey as kind of like being like David's. And I, and I talk about how lions and bears are something you have to conquer and fight before you get to Goliath. And that's something I've always talked with my wife about, just kind of this concept of, of even the kind of like kids I want to raise and things like that. Uh, and so this bear really like spoke to me. And you know how art is. Like art sometimes will just speak to you. And I, I've never experienced that. My wife experiences that every time she goes to Target. Everything speaks to her. And... Um, especially anything Chip and Joanna Gaines do. And, uh, and so I remember just like seeing this and going, I, I want to buy that. And so I have this painting. I still have it to this day. It's sitting in my kids' room actually right now, um, hanging up on their wall. But it's just uh, this beautiful work of art. And I've always been fascinated by these people, by these people that are gifted with their hands, that can do uh, these great works, that can create great works of art or build furniture, that can see an image conceptually in their mind and bring it into reality, bring it into existence through the medium of art. And whether that is, again, furniture or, or building something specific like a home or, or whether it is art or painting or sketching or watercolor, whatever it is, I just think it's beautiful to see an image in your mind and to be able to bring that into this place of reality where it goes from this concept to a, sca- a, a statue or a sculpture. And I enjoy art. I really do. I'm just not very good at it. Um, if you saw the art I did, you'd think that my son made it in Sunday school. Okay? And uh, it, it's not very good. But at the same time, I do enjoy it. Um, I think my problem, though, is not so much that I'm not good at it. It's that I don't have the patience for it. I'm a guy who likes to cross things off the checklist. I, I, like my words that I like are like hustle and grind. Okay, like I like to go. I like to work hard. I like to work fast. And so I've always been the person who's like, I want to check it off my task list. I want to get it off my calendar. I want to go on to the next thing. And so when it comes to art, if I'm going to sit and draw, like paint a picture of a bear, I'm going to go, you know what I mean? And like quickly whip together this picture of a bear that looks like a weird deformed marmot. You know what I mean? Like, and, but, it's, but it's something, and I will just move on to the next thing. It's just something about that rush of serotonin that you get from that accomplishment, right? That, that, that need, this gratification that we get from when we finish something. I've always needed that. But even though I want to move fast, art takes time. Art takes time. Creating something takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes structure. It's like when you're painting a, a painting and you, you don't just whip it out. Like, no, no, you know, how many of you know you step back? And you kind of crank your head this way and you look at it that way and you say, maybe I need to add a little 
a little blue right there. Maybe I'll mix it with this purple a little bit and give it this kind of flame. And it's like it's this slow kind of process of evaluating and seeing, man, maybe I need to make a change here. And it's, it's a process. And, and it's really, if you look at Genesis, we see God created in a process. It took him seven days, and every day he worked on something in particular. He added to what he had already done, and, and he said, this is good, this is good, man. But man, he shouldn't really be alone. He needs a helper. And, and so he says it's not good that he should be alone. So he, he reevaluates, and he, he adds again. And we see this pattern of him working for six days. And on the seventh day, he rested, and he enjoyed what he had created. So over the next six weeks, as we start into a brand new series of messages, we're going to be diving in at this idea that this is a new year. <clears throat> this is 2023. This is a new year with new vision, and we're ready to run fast towards the vision. But first, we need to slow down and go through a process. And so we're going to take six weeks to talk about the vision, the values, and the culture of the church that we're building together. And in week seven... We're going to actually enjoy. We're going to implement. We're going to get to live out what we've talked about for the six weeks prior. So if you're taking notes today, I've titled this series of messages simply this, Creating an Oasis. Creating an Oasis. Open your Bibles with me. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10. Verse 25 through 37, if you have your phones, go to the YouVersion app, scroll there with me, click it, highlight it, underline it, it's a good one to do so. I'm reading out of the NLT today. It says this, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. I love how Jesus replies with stories. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So pause right there for just a second. So this priest, this man of God, walks by. Now, now listen, you can you can try to make justifications for him, right? You can try to give him grace because, no, according to the law, he couldn't touch anything that was dead. Like, he, he could not have gone up to this person. If, if this person really was dead, he would have been considered unclean. So, so he goes to the other side of the road. But here's the thing. He didn't even stop and check on him. He, he didn't see if he was dead. No, he just assumed. And so he walks by and walks on the other side. Doesn't help this dude sitting in there just half dead, barely breathing, just, uh, just walks by him. Now, now, we see the temple assistant following along behind him. Now, the temple assistant would have been assisting the priest, right? So, so think about this. It says that he actually stops and looks at the man. But in reality, his boss, this guy who he's serving, didn't even stop. So he looks at him, but he too chooses to just keep on walking, keep on going by. It says this, but then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey, 
and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let me just pause right here for just a little bit of context. We're not going to go all the way into it today because in a few weeks we're talking about the woman at the well. Um, and we are going to be really diving into the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans and why there is so much strife um, there. But today, let me just say this. When he says a despised Samaritan... Jews literally despised Samaritans. They would literally go an entire day out of the way on their journeys just to avoid having to go through Samaria. So that they wouldn't even have to look upon a Samaritan. Like, like they, they hated them. This was, there, was, there was even racial tensions in this. There were so many multifaceted things that make this a big deal in this historical context. But they despised Samaritans. So, so much so that even this guy that says, he doesn't even say the Samaritan. No, he says the one who showed him mercy. Which, which one of these people was a neighbor? The guy wouldn't even say the Samaritan did it. He just said the one who showed him mercy. There is, there is such a significance to this. This man, this Samaritan, sees this Jewish man half dead, had been stripped naked, had been beat up by these bandits, been robbed, and left to die in a ditch. And the Samaritan has compassion on him. He loads him up on his own donkey, brings him to the inn, says, hey, I'm going to pay for this night. I'm going to soothe his wounds. I'm going to take care of him. Hey, he's going to stay and rest, and if his bill goes over, I'm going to pay it for him. What kind of mercy and grace? Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that whatever's of me would fall away. Whatever's born of your spirit, would, our, would it stick in our hearts, our minds, our souls? May it resonate in us forever, God. May it change us from the inside out. We love you. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would use this message to equip us, encourage us, and empower us to live lives as fully devoted followers of you, Jesus. It's our honor, our privilege to serve you. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say Amen. I got a number of questions that immediately roll through my brain. Like when I read this story of this good Samaritan, this story is, is fascinating to me because I just immediately go to like, what was this guy even doing before this moment? Like, like, like what was he doing? Was he going to like visit family or friends in Jerusalem? Like is he actually from Jericho? Was he going to Jerusalem to worship? Was this a vacation? Was this business? Like why was he on this journey and in this place? Like was he, why was he going down this like super treacherous road? I don't know if you knew this, but the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a 17-mile road that rises and falls 3,600 feet in elevation. It is a winding, steep, treacherous, deadly path. And it's a place that for centuries has been known to be a place for vandals and, and, and burglars and these people that would rob and steal from you. This was a place that was known that evil lurked. This was not a path that you go for like a nature hike, okay? Like we're not going up over here in Roby Creek. Like this is not that kind of path. This is a dangerous, dangerous road. So he must have had some form of a valid reason to make this 17-mile journey. And so I go back to this, these questions. I go, does he have a family? Was his family with him when he was jumped? Are his kids okay? Is his wife okay? Was she taken? Like, what, where, where is she? If not, if they're at home, did he kiss his wife goodbye? Did he tell her he loved her? Did, did he hug his kids? Like, before, I mean, he's half dead. Is he even going to survive this beating if no one stops to help him? Like, these are the places that my mind goes, and these are all questions that just roll through my mind as I hear of this crossroads moment that this man has. Because the priest walked by. The temple assistant walked by, but it was this good Samaritan. The Samaritan showed mercy. The Samaritan, the Samaritan showed grace 
in kindness. And at that crossroads of life, when they're half dead, and they don't know where else to go, he's laying on the side of the road, not sure if he's going to make it. Grace and mercy was shown to him in that crossroads. And when that man is met with mercy, after coming to the end of himself, what he was able to do, crawling out of the ditch, his life was changed forever. And, and this, this is the crossroads moment that he came to in his life. But we all have crossroads moments in our life. Like you've probably had some in your life. Like maybe you have a story of, of pain and of rejection and wounds. Or maybe you have a story of love and of care. But we all have a story. We all fall somewhere on the spectrum and whatever it is, you would probably identify the moment that you found Jesus and you met with love and grace as a crossroads moment in your life. As a moment where things began to change. Because we all have a story, and that story in our lives changed the moment that Jesus walks in. And it's not only our story, it's not only the life that we live that's a story, but we get to play a part. We're grafted in, because of Jesus, into God's story. We get to play a part in the, the God's plan for redemption in a lost and hurting and broken world. And we all get to be participators and contributors in that plan. And as a part of this story, a part of God's story, Jesus commands us to love our neighbor. And we find in this text that there is a religious teacher, a Bible scholar, that's asking these philosophical questions of, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? Now, this would have been a very common philosophical question that was asked at the time in the town square, down around the corner. This is, this is where people would have this conversation. How do I inherit eternal life? Think about the rich young ruler. He asked Jesus a very similar question, did he not? This is something that would have been talked about. And so Jesus answers with a parable, with a story. And after he gives this story, the man asks another follow-up question. And he asks this question, who really is my neighbor? Now, now I think Jesus, in telling the story, helped us to really kind of redefine the parameters for who our neighbor is. Who is my neighbor? Who is our neighbor. Jesus redefines it this way. Uh, this is how I would sum up that passage. If you were to just take the, the overall theme, anyone around us who has a need is our neighbor. I'm going to say that again. Anyone around us with a need is our neighbor. Not just the person that's next door to you, not the person that's in your little suburb across the street and faces a driveway with you that sometimes shovels your walk, okay? Like, not your relative down the road. Anyone who has a need is your neighbor. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. You know, when Brooke and I were getting ready uh, to move here, uh, we were looking at houses and homes, and, you know, <coughs> we got on Zillow like mad people, and we're going through houses, and, man, we learned very quickly that when you're moving to the hottest market in the country, or was the hottest market in the country, every realtor said amen, and <laughs> it was the hottest market in the country. We're getting ready to move here. We learned very quickly that, you know, the money that we had, our dollar was not going to go as far as it did for our house in Oklahoma or our house in Colorado. We learned that our money was not going to go very far at all the moment we started making offers and before we'd even walk in the house, it would go under contract. The moment that we'd make an offer and someone from California would come and outbid me by 15 grand. Thanks a lot if you're from California. I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing you. I know half you're from California. It's okay. We forgive you. And uh, so anyways, <laughs> we eventually started looking at homes. You know, you know how it is on Zillow. Come on, let's be honest. We all do this. You start with homes you can afford, and eventually you just look at homes you like. You know what I mean? And so we started with homes we could afford, and we eventually were just looking at homes that we really liked. And so we're looking at all these crazy houses, and we're like, man, they had big sprawling homes with acreage and a 
detached garage with a mother-in-law suite. And, and it's like, man, there's a car lift in there. And it's like, that's awesome. And, you know, there's a pond with trout on it. It's like, babe, think of the children. It's like they can fish. You know, and I'm just like trying to convince her of, of how we could just go so into debt and go broke. And just, you know. And so, like, I'm just telling her, look at it. It's amazing. And it's like we're just look, dreaming. And we're like, man, I remember just looking at these homes. And I looked at my wife. And I said, babe, like, think about, like, you know, we're just dreaming. It's like, think about all the people we could host. How many people we could have over for dinner. The way that we could sit on the porch and, like, just, you know, we could take them fishing. We could take them out in the pasture and look at the views of the mountains. Like, come on, like, that's amazing. And, and I just remember just having that feeling of, man, all the things that we could do. And as we looked at those homes, it wasn't too long afterwards that we found a home that we could afford, which is about half the size of my house in Colorado. <laughs> And uh, so the boys now share a room. I lost my office space. We lost our storage space, and I park on the street corner. And, um, <laughs> but here's the thing. The Lord challenged us shortly after buying our house. We started reading a book. My wife was reading it. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And it's this book that really kind of details just this idea that following Jesus looks like laying down our preferences, our image, and our comfortability for the sake of our neighbor. It, it looks like keeping the door wide open every single day and welcoming people to the table of every background and in every type of proximity to you in your life. And as we talked about these concepts in this book, the reality of the kind of hospitality that the gospel necessitates began to just overwhelm us. And I just felt this just, just strong conviction from God. It was almost as if God was saying, you already have everything you need. You don't need a big house to host in a big way. Hey, listen, you may not have a table for 12, but you have a table for six. Like, like, I don't have a pond, but I have a fire pit. We can look at the views of my white fence. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I just began to just feel so convicted by God. It's like, yeah, I got three kids, and there's toys everywhere because we have no storage, and it's a mess. But here's the thing. Life is messy, but life is beautiful. Invite people into the mess. Invite them into the beauty of what life is. Can, can I tell you something anyways, people? Let me just help you out if you're a neat freak. No one feels comfortable when your house is spotless and you walk in and it's perfect, okay? It's like, do I take my shoes off? Can I breathe in here? It's like, you know, it's just, it, it's like, just let them sh to see how you live. Invite people to be there for you. Don't have dinner already prepared when they get there. Invite them to be a part of it. Cook together, talk, chat, hang out. I love our friends from Brazil because they don't eat till like 9 p.m. And when you show up, it's like, all right. I remember the first time we went over there, it's like, all right, we're here for dinner. And we thought it would be ready. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, we'll pull things out. And they start cutting vegetables and, you know, cooking poncho queijo and all these things. And uh, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, this is awesome. Because we just ended up spending so much time together and getting to know them. There's something about hospitality. And we always go to this, though. It's like, we need the big house to host. No, no, no. You don't need a big house. You need a house. You need a, a dwelling. You need somewhere you can invite people to. But we always say things like that. Like I even think like, man, if I was an extrovert, then I'd serve on a team. We got a lot of places for introverts to serve, believe it or not. You don't have to interact with 500 people. You might have to interact with like three people. But you always have to interact with people. So you're never going to escape that introvert, okay? <laughs> but that's the reality is that we go to these places. It's like, man, if I won the lottery, I'd give half of it away. I, I mean, I'd use that for God. Well, how about you just start with being faithful to your tithe now? Like, like why don't we just start with just being obedient now? It's like, you're never going to do it if you're thinking that you're going to get there when you got $500 million. I'm giving 250 away. Can I tell you something? If that's your mindset, you're not going to get there. It starts with generosity now. It starts with faithfulness now. It starts with obedience now. And so I, all these moments, it's like, man, if I had more time, I hear this one probably more than any other one. If I had more time, I'd read my Bible and I'd pray. 
come on, I've, I've even been guilty of this in my life. If I had more time, I'd pray more. I could do more. I could, I could study more. It's like, here's the reality. We all get 24 hours in a day. You are not the exception. You have to find a way to reprioritize your life, to make the most important things the most important things. And so wherever that's placed shows you what you think about it. And here's the reality. Let me, let me just help you with this. If you want to know exactly how much time you have, swipe over on your thing, go to screen time. And I'll tell you exactly how much time you have to read your Bible and pray. I'm telling you, I'm guilty too. I understand. But I just know that try a Bible, like audio Bible on your commute. Try, try reprioritizing some things on your calendar, on your schedule. Find time. Make time. Church, you already have everything that you need. The spirit of God is already inside us. We already have everything we need to reach our city. All we got to do is just take a step. Like that's it. Like that's it. But, but Pastor Lane, that's inconvenient. Yes, it is. Like that's, that's part of it. It's inconvenient, man. Well, I just, I don't have time. Like I come to church just to fill myself up. Like I don't want to serve and do all these other things. I just want to, I need to get filled up. I've got a long week. It's like, man, can I just tell you something? I understand that. I understand you're tired. I understand. But here's something you should know is that the perspective of our Savior is that our faith is not just about us. Our faith is about others. That's a core piece of the, of the mission that God has given us is to go and to make disciples. But did you know that there's people in our city that are already living this way? They, they literally live this way. They, they're just like you. They, they have soccer practice. They have kids' recitals. They have work. They have social circles they have to keep up with. They have the same kind of things, yet they are faithful to serve. Yet they're faithful to get up every day on purpose and to live on mission for Jesus. And, and their faith isn't just attached to a Sunday, but they live it out throughout their week. And so I just, I just want to ask this. What prevents us from being a good neighbor? What prevents us from being people that live on mission? And I think there's three things. And if you're taking notes, would you write this down for me? Number one, being busy prevents us from being a good neighbor and living on mission. So I, I just think about this. Like, man, we get so busy. And like I mentioned even about art and creating, it's for me, it's like I just, I just want to get things done. I want to check things off my list. I want to keep going. I want to do, do my to-do list. I want to do the things on my calendar. And, and I just want to ask, have we filled our lives of things of eternal importance or temporary pleasures? Are, are we passing by the person on the side of the road? Man, they got in a car accident. Oh, man, maybe I should stop and check it on. But I'm, I got to go to Starbucks so I can get there before work. It's like, have we just filled our lives with things that aren't important? And are we passing by things of eternal significance and ways that we can make impact because of just our own pleasures, things that we're chasing. Are our calendars full, but our spirit's empty? Like, are we sitting in this place? Have we created an idol out of busyness, out of doing and going and accomplishing and checking things off? Like, have we created an idol out of our work and out of busyness? Are we stuck in this religious rat race where all we do is we walk in on a Sunday morning, we get our coffee. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. Worship for a minute. Okay, but see you next weekend. And we let our Sunday experience live here, and we never let our Sunday experience inform our Monday morning attitudes and actions. Can I tell you something, church? Hell is not scared of a Sunday faith. It's not scared of a Sunday faith. He's not scared of you leaving the gospel sitting right here in this room. Hell shakes. Hell gets afraid when you start living out your call, when you start making disciples, when you start serving, when you start showing up, when you start sharing your faith in your office, when you start sharing your faith at your school, when you start sharing your faith at your kids' soccer games, how God has changed your life. When you become a person that is unafraid of pushback. So this is the challenge. It's to simplify. 
plug in. Plug in where you are. Make a difference and reflect Christ. Reprioritize. Slow down. Like make time. Stop for the hurting. Stop for the broken. Bandage up their wounds. Pay their bill. Pay their tab. Do whatever to represent Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear, hear the Holy Spirit and respond in obedience when he speaks to you, when you get that whisper, when you get that feeling, when you know that God is telling you, hey, do this. Obey immediately. I love that when Jesus called the disciples, immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. It was always the response. Immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. Number two, believing our faith is just for ourselves prevents us from being a good neighbor. You know, every time someone was saved in the Bible, they joined a community of faith. Not only to be discipled, but to actually literally walk with other people, arm in arm. To, to join together and to actually live out their faith together. And so can I just tell you something? It's a prerequisite. You have to be dependent on God and dependent on others. That's a part of our faith. That is how God designed you. He did not design you to be alone. He did not design this to be a solo mission. Your mission is fully dependent on your ability to go out and make disciples. So that is what God calls us to do. Number three, having a lack of faith or a lack of understanding of his grace prevents us from being a good neighbor. So, so the idea is this. You and I sitting in church today are no better than the sinner that's lost out there in our city. Because they need the same grace that God offered to you and I that got us here. The same grace that got us to the point where we're at today. We still need that grace. We were just as lost. And the way that the Father has lavished his love on you, don't you think that the people in our city deserve to have that same kind of love lavished on them. Do you agree? They do. They need the same grace we needed. So those are three big reasons, but honestly, I think sometimes we just choose ignorance. I think the church, sometimes we can get to a place where we choose ignorance because the need, the brokenness, the darkness hasn't come knocking on our own door. Because we are living a life where, man, we've already received Jesus. We already know him. We already found our way to church. We found a faith community. We're plugged in. And so all of a sudden we're like, someone, somewhere else can help them find the path there. Because I'm already here. And I think we choose ignorance because it's not right in front of our face. But you know it's here in our city. It's here. I'd like to tell you three stories. Christy is a single mom. She's recently divorced from her husband of several years. She's got two little kids, a two-year-old and a six-year-old, and on top of caring for her two children, she's in school right now to be a dental technician. Right before Christy got divorced, she battled an exhaustive and painful fight with breast cancer, and now she survived, but she's weary. John's a business owner in our city. He opened up his first store in 2017. Since then, they now have five locations. John has a wife and kids, but feels like amidst his own success financially, his marriage is struggling, and he fears that modern society is shaping his kids more than he's able to, more than he's able to influence them as a parent. Kayla's a college student studying business and economics. She's a leader in her class, the captain of her sports team, and has thoroughly enjoyed the past couple years. However, Kayla has continually been encouraged to leave her faith background she came from by her college peers. Her Christian roots are mocked and made fun of, and while she wants to hold on, she only has a couple friends of faith and knows that her knowledge of the Bible and theology is so minimal, she's not even sure what she really believes. But let me ask you this, church. 
what if there was a place, what if there was a church in the city that existed to be an oasis for the weary and for the broken and for the confused and for the hurting? What if there was a church that existed to bring hope and refreshing and healing and renewal to the city of Boise through the power of the gospel and through the message of Jesus? What, what if Christy could know that there is a community that would come alongside her as she parents her kids and, and could strengthen her and there were men in a church that could come alongside and help her son be raised to be a man of God and to respect women and people around them? Well, what if there was uh, women that she could go and confide in and talk to about her struggles and her anxieties and her worries that she could develop true, honest, and authentic friendship with? What, what if there was a place, what if there was a place, a community that could answer her call when she needed care? What if John could know that the kids that he has that are being formed could be formed in another place, but by people that have dedicated and devoted their lives to serving the next generation, to raising them up with a biblical worldview that's informed by the word of God? What if there was a place where his kids could be poured into every Sunday, and there are people that are partnering with him throughout the week to help him disciple and raise his children? What if there were other like-minded entrepreneurs and business owners, men and women that would say that they have a double bottom line. It's not just bottom line revenue coming into their business, but it's how that bottom line revenue and that profit could actually fuel the mission of the local church. That could actually make an impact in the kingdom of God that is significant and lasts for generations. What if there were people that had that same mindset? What if there was a place where they, those people could put their heads together? What could they accomplish? What could they do? What if there was a place where John and his wife, in the middle of their rocky marriage, could go and find a group and find couples that are a little older than them, have gone a little further, gone a little longer, and been through and seen some things that could speak into their marriage with authenticity and vulnerability, without fear of being judged? What if there was a place that because of the generosity of the people could offer free counseling to that couple? What if it saved their marriage? What if... What if that company that John owns could be informed by those other communities, those other companies that are the same, of the same thought process and change the culture of their businesses, the ethos, the ethics that they operate with, and it begins to change the culture of our city? What if there was a place that that student Kayla found that could not only encourage her faith on a Sunday, but also had pathways for more robust discipleship? more than just a Sunday morning experience, but actual pathways for discipleship where people could come in and learn doctrine and theology and why we believe what we believe. And, and what if she could be so rooted and firm in her foundation of Christ, so rooted in her identity, that even when the worst storms come, even when she feels like, man, no one around me is Christian, no one around me has, shares my same beliefs, but she's steadfast because of the community that's around her and because of the discipleship that she's gone through. What if there was a place like that, for her to grow and serve as a leader and develop, not just to serve in church, but in every area of her life to grow as a leader. What if she found a place like that? Can I tell you something, church? These are very real people. There's some details of some things in the stories that have changed for privacy or for other reasons. But these are real stories. Like this is actual people that live in Boise. There are people just like this. There are people out there just like you and me. But the only difference is, is they have not found a faith community yet. They have not plugged into a place where they can know about who Jesus is and how to follow him. There are real people in our city, and these are individuals are just like the person in this story, waiting on the side of the road for someone to be a neighbor, for someone to reach out, 
for someone to say something, for someone to offer something. And, and we have an opportunity, I think, church, to, to just, I mean, just think for a moment where you were when you had your moment with Jesus, where you finally accepted the invitation to church, when you finally said yes to come, when you finally saw that Instagram ad, or when you finally, maybe years ago, you, someone invited you and you said, I'm never going to go there. Maybe it was your mom that was like, come on, come to church with me. And you, you finally showed up. What was that like for you? Like, I remember for me, I was 17 years old. I remember the life change. I remember the spirit of God hitting me. I remember, I remember feeling conviction for the first time. I remember beginning to just feel a change. And I remember to want the, the desire to go after this thing that, that I had been invited to and talked about and told about and finally living it out. And I'd ask that you try to remember. Because that moment for you, when you finally surrendered your life to Jesus, man, everything changed, didn't it? Like everything changed, like purpose attached to your passions and all of a sudden like this life that you lived gains significance. Things began to shift. No longer were you just wandering through life like desperate to find your identity, desperate to find healing, desperate to find and, and encounter authentic love. But, but you actually found purpose. So let me ask you, what if we had a church that existed to be an oasis for the wanderers? Those people that are gifted with grit in our city but are questioning the purpose and direction for their lives. These people that are wandering through life just trying to find their own way. What if we had a church, what if we would build a church together that could truly be an oasis for the wanderer, a place where they can find refreshing and hope and healing and renewal for their spirit and a place where they can find purpose and passion and identity and direction for the God-given gifts on their life. Like what if we found, what if we built a church that not only itself was an oasis but would train up leaders to lead groups and homes that, that, that then that home would become an oasis. And that same refreshing, healing, hope, renewal, the living water of Christ you'd experience at church could be experienced in a home. What if we built a church like that? What would that be like? Because that's the church we want to build. We want to build a church that can introduce people to Jesus and help them walk out Jesus' call to follow him and be his disciple. This is the kind of church that we see. We see a church that is truly an oasis for the city of Boise. People who have been trying to find their own way will come to know that Jesus is the way as they encounter God in our weekend services, as they find authentic community in groups and start to discover God's purpose for their life, as they grow in their knowledge of God and in service to the community around them. And so here's, here's the reality. People are wandering through life trying to find their own way, but we will get to show them that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that he is worth following. And friends, you're probably sitting here going, Pastor Landon, you've said Oasis like 307 times. Yes, I have. <laughs> and you might be saying, like, what is with this word? But friends, I have had this word burned into my soul since July of 2021. I remember I was sitting downtown. I was actually at the district. I was on the corner there downtown at the district coffee shop. And I was on a visit. We were, came here just praying. This was our, actually our first visit to Boise. And I remember just like praying, God, is this really it? And, and without a doubt, God confirmed to Brooke and I, just like this is our city. This is our city. This is our place. This is where God has called us to serve, to give our lives to. And uh, we both just had that confirmation. And I was sitting in this coffee shop, and the Lord dropped that word in my spirit. Like that, just oasis. And, and I just remember this feeling. It just, it burned in my bones. And, and I just remember like thinking like, what would that, what did that look like? And so God just begins to drop this word on me. And he showed me this spiritual oasis that I just described to you. What this church could be. What this church that we were going to plant would look like. 
What would it look like to have a spiritual oasis like this where people could experience everything that I just talked about? And how would it impact people? And God just began to reveal these things to me. And through our journey here this past year, as we were faithful to our assignment to plant a church, we worked hard to secure partnerships with incredible planting organizations. We uh, went through multiple different assessments. We went through psychological evaluations. We went through um, all sorts of different launch trainings um, with several different programs. And we began to look at different locations in the valley. We looked for places for a building, and God never really, really let us secure a building. And I kept asking him, God, why? Why can't we find a building? Why can't we find what we're looking for? And we began to secure financial backing. We began to build a team. But every step was miraculous. He was in the midst of it, every single step. And just like the steps before, before it, the steps prior, the final step that we went through that was massive and a major, major, biggest miracle to this point is you, church. It's you. It's when I was approached about this opportunity to say, hey, what do you think about us coming together? And, and I was like, oh, my gosh. This is a miracle. This is why I couldn't secure a building. This is why God didn't let me have it because this is what he had in mind. God has been writing a story, friends. And this is no coincidence that on January 8th of 2023 that you're sitting in the room today. You are a part of this story. And listen, the why behind, why are you talking about building a church like this? The why is crystal clear. Christy and John and Kayla, like the single mom, the business owner, the college student, the widow, the young family that doesn't know how to raise their kids. They're just lost. Their kids are going crazy. They just need help. The, the young couple, that's, their marriage is rocky and, and they need someone to pour into them. It, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the widow the one who just lost her husband. It's the one who's out there saying, man, my business is failing. I don't know what I'm going to It's these people. It's these people in our city that are far from God. These people that are lost, that are hurting, that are broken. That's the why. Listen, God is after those people. God is after the one. He's after the one. And you all have had that moment. You've all had some kind of moment, right, where, or maybe you haven't, maybe you're in the room, you haven't, but most of us have, that are sitting here today have had this kind of moment where we've experienced the why behind doing things like this because this church has always been about the lost. So maybe you are one of the people that were at a crossroads. Maybe you're one of the people that had that moment of experiencing this why why we're moving towards loving our neighbors, why we're promoting the church around the community, why we make an excellent and distraction-free environment, why we paint the bathrooms and change the mirrors, why we flip the kids' rooms, why we go through the trouble of doing all this and getting new furniture so we can have more community and we don't have to bust in and bust out of here, but we can actually talk and be the church and know each other. Why do we go through all this effort of completely redoing the kids' program, which, by the way, is happening? We will never just watch your children. I want you to know that while I'm the pastor, we will have extremely significant next generation ministry. I just hired a new pastor who'll be here on January 21st who's gonna be the pastor for the kids and for the youth. We're starting a youth program. We're gonna have once a month gatherings and small groups every week. And we're gonna have a robust scope and sequence children's ministry from the time that they are in kindergarten to the time they're in 12th grade. They will have a biblical worldview informed by the word of God. One of the values that we're gonna start to live and operate by as a church is kids matter most. Everything we do will revolve around our values. Kids matter most is one of them. We'll talk about that more in depth next week. But this is the why. Today has been about the why. It's been about how the, the, the vision 
but the how and the what are extremely vital to the process as well. And so over the next six weeks, in order to see the fulfillment of our prayers and the call that God has placed on this church, we must put in effort, structure, intentionality, and be faithful with this beautiful call. And so today is all about the why, but over the next six weeks, we're going to dive in more into the how and the what. We're going to go in detail to, Pastor Landon, how do you build a church like that? Like, what systems need to change? Like, what are we doing? Like, what, what kind of progress are we going to make towards this vision? What do we need to do to actually progress? How, how do I play a part? How can I get involved? Can I, can I help with this? Yes, you absolutely can. We need your help. We want you to be a part of this. These are all questions we're going to answer each week as we break down very clearly how we will do this. It will be clear, it will be compelling, it will be a values-based approach for everything we do as our vision. Everything will be backed by our values. It will be the filter which we run everything through. Um, if you're already on a team here, you're going to begin to see some shifts in how we do leadership development, how we do communication. Um, you're going to see some major shifts in a number of different areas of training and how we serve here at the church. We're restructuring. And it's going to be awesome. And you're going to be a part of it. But for those of you who are not on a team, I'm going to challenge you, and I'm going to challenge you today to sign up. Be a part of what's happening. Be a part of what God is doing. Don't just be a consumer. One of the other values we'll live by as a church is we are contributors, not consumers. We don't just come in and we consume. No, no, no. We, we give our lives to serve other people. Attend one and serve one is going to be a real thing around here. We're gonna, you're going to hear us talk about it. You're going to hear us preach about it. You're going to hear us in the hallway talking about it, at Next Steps talking about it, in children's ministry, on, on teams. You're going to have a direct report with people actually caring for you and checking on your soul and your life and your family and people following up with you, giving you clear, concise direction. We're going to make some great changes. But I have to tell you, this is something I want to invite you to. I want to invite you to purpose. I want to invite you to growth. I want to invite you to a team. But more than that, I, before we get there, I just need you to know that there's more than just a change of vision. It's more than just a change of direction. It's more than just a change of systems and leadership. This is a launch of something new on the solid foundation of something that already exists. And as I stated in the beginning, over the next six weeks, we are creating an oasis. And I, I meant that when I said it. Because on the seventh week, after we've gone through six weeks of change and creating, our time of creating is going to come to an end. And on week seven of this series, on February 19th of 2023, I would like to officially announce today that we are becoming Oasis City Church and that God is going to use this church to be an oasis in the midst of the desert for the wanderers, for the hurting, for the broken, for the people in our city that are far from God, this is gonna be a place where they come for refreshing and healing and hope and renewal. And this will be a place that is a landmark in our city. This is going to be a place where people who are thirsty and tired and broken can come and find rest. The de-churched, unchurched, the lost, the broken, the church hurt, everybody, the sinner and the saint can come here and find hope, healing, refreshing, and renewal. They can experience the love of God. They can experience the same grace that you and I experienced. That is what this church will be. That is what this church is. 
And in every area of this church, you will see a prioritization on leadership, on discipleship, and on the way of Jesus in every area. The mission of this church will be to exist to see people far from God encouraged, equipped, empowered, and released as fully devoted followers of Jesus. And and I want you to know the kind of house that we're going to build, we will build a house that welcomes the least and the lost. We will build a house that beckons the brokenhearted and builds up the beat down. We're going to build a house that calls away to the castaway and to the commuter, the callous and the cast down. A house with its doors open to the marginalized and the maligned. A house that throws a party for the wayward and binds up the defeated. A house that welcomes the burdened and the burnt out. We're building a house that encourages the discouraged, heals the hurting, loves the unlovable, and accepts the unacceptable. And through the gathering, the community, and the discipleship of this place, that crossroads will lead to the foot of the cross and the feet of Jesus. That is the house we're building. That is the church that we're building. And as we've been preparing for this moment, for this announcement, we've been just as a team, just praying and just believing and asking God just to be with you, church, through this time. And, and we just ask God, God, would you just begin to already let them start to get a hold of this, prepare their hearts for this vision, to be an oasis in your homes, to be an oasis at your place of work, to be a person of refreshing, a person of hope and healing, renewal. Come on, because hope comes from nowhere but the feet of Jesus. Like, that's where you find hope. It's falling at his feet. That's where you find mercy. That's where you find grace. And so as I was preparing, I just, I found this verse, I think really summarizes our vision well. It's a verse that I'd just like to read to you, and then I'd actually like to pray just a blessing over you from it. And it's in Isaiah, open your Bible, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11, underline this. This is really kind of a key verse for us. Isaiah 58, verse 11. And it says this, church, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. So God, I do pray for this church and I pray that you would guide us. Lord, would you guide us continually? Would you guide us always in every season, in every iteration, in every name that we exist under God? from create to oasis and whatever you do in the future. God, we thank you that we get to be a part of building your church. We thank you that we get to be a part of this. So continually guide us for those in our church and in our city that need refreshing, that are thirsty, that are dry, that are weary. God, would you bring refreshing? Would you pour out your spirit? God, for those in our church, for those in our city that are broken, would you bring healing? Would you bind up their wounds? Would you soothe them, God? Would you just begin, even now, God, to begin to use us, God, to be the people that soothe the wounds of others? In a dry and weary land, in a sun-scorched land, God, make us an oasis. Make us an oasis in the desert, an oasis for the wanderers. Help us to bind up the broken and to make disciples of all nations, of all people, of every tribe, every tongue. Lord, it's such an honor to serve you. It's such an honor. We love you so much and we're so thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close, I want to speak to one more group of people. That's those of you in the room right now. That maybe you're at a crossroads in your life. You've reached the point where you feel like the the guy on the side of the road in a ditch, half dead, 
tired, broken, beat up, stripped down, like you've just gone through the ringer. You're at the end of yourself. Can I tell you something? The end of yourself is the best place that you could be because that's where Jesus starts. It's when we reach the end of ourselves and realize that life isn't about us and that our life is most valuable when we give it to the one who created it. Can I tell you something? If you're in the room today and you're at that crossroads, Jesus is in the room today. He knows you. He loves you. In fact, God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for you in your place. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You, me, everybody, everybody in this room, every person you see on stage, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God, it says in Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through his son, Christ Jesus. We all have to pay the penalty of death if it wasn't for Jesus, but Jesus loved us so much. God loved us so much. He sent Jesus to take our place to say, hey, I'm gonna, I'll pay that penalty. I'll pay what they have to pay. I'll, I'll take their place. I'll go in as a sacrificial substitute for them. And so Jesus went to the cross and he died this brutal, bloody death so that you and I could be saved, healed, re redeemed, forgiven, made right with God. And the Bible says that he was, not only did he die, but he was buried in the ground for three days. But on the third day, he rose victorious over hell and over sin and over the grave. It says that he is now ascended and seated at the right hand of God with all honor, power, and authority forever. And this is a free gift that he's offering to you today. And there's nothing you could do to earn it or deserve it. This is a free gift that he wants to give to you. You don't deserve it. You, you can't do anything to earn it. It's a free gift. And all you have to do is confess that Jesus is Lord. Put your faith in him. This is all about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about holding doors or doing anything like that. No, it's not about just showing up to church. It's so much more. It's just having a relationship with Jesus, putting your faith in the work that he did on the cross. And so I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never had an opportunity, this is your moment. This is your crossroads with every head bowed and every eye closed across this room. If you're in the room today and you don't know God, you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, but you want to be forgiven of your sin, of your past, of your mistakes, of your shortcomings, you want your slate wiped clean, you want to be made right with God today and you want a relationship with Jesus. If that's you and you want to put your faith in him today and if you feel something happen in your heart, you're like, Pastor Lane, I don't know what this is. I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit preparing you. And if you want to put your faith in Jesus, then on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. If that's you, would you put your hand up nice and high? That's awesome. I see you guys in the middle. That's awesome. Anybody else? I see you. I see you, bud. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, maybe else. I don't want to miss you. I'm sorry. Okay. Would you pray this prayer together with me, church? Just say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I ask that you would take my life and do with it whatever you want to do. I repent. I turn away from my sin and I turn towards you, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you, to walk with you, every day of my life. Guide me. Thank you for your forgiveness and for your mercy. Give me the grace to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you love God, would you say amen and celebrate that with me? Come on.
kids raise their hands during that. Kids matter most. And we're a next generation church. If you're considering coming next Wednesday to the kids meeting, I'd, I'd encourage you to come. I was a youth pastor for almost nine years. Let me tell you something, watching a student go from lost and hurting and wanting to take their own life to following Jesus and getting baptized, there is nothing like that. Don't wait. You already have everything you need. You already have it. Be the big brother that you never had. Be the dad you did or maybe did not have. Be the mom maybe you didn't have. Would you stand with me, church? Jesus, I pray for this church. I pray that you would use them in their workplaces, everywhere they go to be an oasis, to be a person of refreshing hope, healing, and renewal. God, would you allow this church to truly be an oasis in the valley, an oasis in the desert where people can come into this place, God, and experience the living water of Christ, experience a relationship with Jesus. God, help us to follow it out. Help us to live out this vision. God, may this be more than words, but may this be burned into our souls, God. May this be a passion and a fire that's ignited by the Spirit of God on the inside of us. God, help us all to take a step. Help us all to be contributors. Help us all, God, to prioritize the next generation. Help us all to pour out our lives for the sake of others, to live as generous people, to live as bold people, to live as people on fire, people that are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because we know it's the power of God unto salvation. God, I pray that you would use this church. You would use this worship. You would use this team. You would use these people, God, to be a blessing to the city of Boise, to blessing to the Treasure Valley, God. We will do whatever you want to do. We will be whatever you want us to be. Our aspirations, our ambitions, we lay at your feet. Whatever you want this to turn into, whatever you want to use this church for, God, use it for your glory. Use it for your good, God. Use it for your kingdom. In the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, if you love God, give him a good praise. Amen. Come on, let's worship. Thanks again for listening to the Create Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you pray for you, or give you next steps in your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at createchurch.co to get connected today.